0: Hi there and welcome to this RACGP podcast, we're going to focus today on young people and harm reduction, we're looking at prevalence, uh, conversations around drug use and, and really thinking about assessment. Uh, my name is Susie Hudson. I'm the um, clinical advisor at the Centre for Alcohol and Other Drugs, and I'd like to start by acknowledging that we're all on Aboriginal land, wherever you're listening in from today, and to pay my respects to Elders past and present I'd also really like to introduce Dr. Esther Hahn. She is a staff specialist at Drug and Alcohol Services Royal North Shore Hospital. She's also a GP and she provides GP uh, conversation in-house sessions to schools, uh, talking to Year 11s and 12s about substance use, about gender and sexuality, sex and all the other journeys we need to go on in terms of our health as young people. So welcome, Esther.
1: Hi, Susie. Great to be here.
0: So we'll kick off a little bit, Esther, and obviously keeping in mind, um, this can be a bit of a thorny topic for some people uh, when they're thinking about engaging young people and talking about substances. But let's start with a little bit of a background, perhaps, on what sort of illegal drugs do young people use? Uh, Tell us a little bit about what the research tells us and, and what we should perhaps be looking out for when we're engaging with young people.
1: Sure, sure. Well, I'll explain where we get our data from. So um, Australia conducts a National Drug Strategy Household Survey every three years. The the last one published was 2019, and this samples tens of thousands of Australians um, all across the different states and territories and from age 14 years and up. And so we know from the last National Drug Strategy Household Survey report that the the illegal drugs that are being used, and that's also, um, you know, pharmaceuticals that are being used for non-medical purposes, you know, inappropriate use of inhalants, like, for example. uh, So in 2019, when we sampled um, young people, so in the age group of 14 to 19 years old, who'd ever used one of these illegal drugs in their lifetime, it was about 1 in 5, so 22%. And Mm -hmm. that has dropped by, you know, about half since 2001. And in that 20 to 29-year-old age group, we were down to 50% in 2019, again, a drop since 2001. And when we talk about kind of recent illicit drug use, that's use in the last 12 months, um, and that's not not including things like benzodiazepines and opioids, in that 14 to 19-year-old age group, um, of the males there were about 16 percent had used recently females 14 percent and in that 20 to 29 year old age group one in three males had used recently and one in four females.
0: So, so tell, tell us a little bit about who, yeah, who are the people that are using substances because it's sounding a little bit like we could have the impression that all young people are out there using drugs all the time but but what you're sort of saying and perhaps is suggesting is that there are certain drugs used by certain age groups can you tell us a little bit about that
1: yeah yep, yeah. you're right Susie different ages for different substances that's some of the patterns we're seeing that are emerging from the data So in the late teens, the more common drugs are things like cannabis and in younger teens, inhalants like deodorant cans, um, you know, the nitrous oxide uh, used in, you know, cans like whipped cream and things are easily accessible by younger teens. Um, and so we're seeing more of those easily available drugs funnily enough cannabis seems to be more easily available to that age group compared to alcohol and in our youth specific drug and alcohol services in in northern sydney where i work we're seeing cannabis as the main drug of concern and alcohol as a secondary drug of concern this is opposite of what we're seeing in our adult drug and alcohol services and it might be reflective as i said of that easier availability now In the early 20s, we start seeing more ecstasy and amphetamines, including methamphetamine emerging, um, hallucinogens, uh, and inhalants, heroin, and some injected drugs. That's when people in the early 20s start to use some of these drugs. And then in their mid-20s, things like cocaine, GHB, ketamine, painkillers, and opioids and finally, in the later 20s, people starting to use more like tranquilizers like the benzodiazepines and, and steroids or performance and image enhancing drugs. And so in 2019, the, what we saw that the, the mean age of first use of
0: illicit drugs rose um, to just above mm. 17 years old. Okay, so, so there's a bit of variation there. And as you're saying, it might not be the case that all of the young people that a, a GP may see may be using substances, but what might be the common reasons or how might it come up in conversation, do you think, if from someone attending a GP surgery or clinic?
1: Yeah, so, so some of the common reasons um, that I found and also from the data is that young people are presenting with mood disruption mm. and could be symptoms suggestive of something like depression or anxiety. Um, often men display angry outbursts or aggression, and that actually can be a sign inwardly that they have stress and anxiety and depression, more of those externalizing behaviors. Mm-hmm. And the young person might uh, present themselves actually concerned about their mood, about kind of episodes of aggression, and and they want some help with that. Um, Often people are self-medicating their Mm. anxiety or depression with substances as well. So that's an important thing to recognize. That's the purpose it's serving. People aren't doing things for silly reasons. Sometimes they might present with sleep issues, um, Mm -hmm. and often that's the most tangible symptom or consequence for people. But really, sleep disturbance often is indicative that there's a lot of other things going on in that person's life right biological psychological social issues
0: and so what you're suggesting then that when a gp might be exploring um, the, the say a sleep disturbance or or that sort of mood fluctuations, that they add in the potential that someone might have been using some, some illicit drugs, along with all the other things that might be going on in terms of life changes or stresses. Is that what you're suggesting, that it's important to open that conversation? Can you talk a little bit more about how we might engage young people so that they feel comfortable to talk about some of these issues?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, I was speaking to one of my colleagues, he's a a child and adolescent psychiatrist and also dual trained in addiction. And he says the two C's, are confidentiality and curiosity. So confidentiality. So give that young person time. If they've presented with their parent, reassure them that you'll ask their parent to leave. Mm -hmm. Um, of routine practice that whenever I see anybody of high school age I, I, I say yep uh, you, you know your parents here yeah let's hear what they have to say but I will ask them to leave um, and I explain that it's important for the young person to start to learn how to interact with health professionals. Mm-hmm. Um, I ask the parents what their concerns are because often they're the ones who are really concerned about the young person and they, they might have brought their child in to see me that day. Mm, okay okay And yeah, we need to often manage the parents' anxiety about the situation. And when we're treating young people, really, when we're looking at treating them, it's in the context of their family situation. And so we really need to incorporate that, um, get those people on board, everyone on board. So... um, when when the when the parents left the room to the young person, I have my little spiel. So I say, you know, um, just wanna tell you that everything we talk about today is confidential. I'm not gonna dub you into mum or dad about things like drugs or alcohol mm-hmm. or sex. Um that you know, I'm not the police either. You know, mm. I'm here to care for your health, um, and also I let them know about when I might break their confidentiality, and that's only in circumstances where I'm seriously concerned about their safety and well-being, or the safety and well-being of others. Um, and that would pertain to things if they told me they were going to harm themselves or mm. hurt themselves in any way, or if somebody else was hurting them.
0: So Esther, in that way, you've really flagged early on with that young person about what the boundaries are around the confidentiality, and you've really put it in that context of their care and their health um, and any concerns that you might have, so that perhaps if there was concerns that meant that you had to go outside those boundaries of confidentiality, they'd be really clear on that and wouldn't become a surprise. Is that what you're saying there?
1: Yeah, that's right. And I think that's only fair. And, and part of, I guess, informed consent, um, that person can choose to tell me whatever they want to choose to tell me. And hopefully, as as we keep seeing each other in that doctor patient um, session over the time, and that's the great thing about general practice is we get kind of long term yes. you know, patients, um, they come back for these, you know, yeah consults, we've developed that trust and rapport.
0: Yeah. And And, and I suppose it's that real relationship that you've built. And so you mentioned that the second C there was about curiosity. Can you tell us a little bit about what you mean by that?
1: Yeah. Yeah, sure. So as I said before, like people don't do things for silly reasons, including drug and alcohol use. And what I'm curious about is what purpose is that substance or alcohol playing in your life? What do you like about taking it? What does it do for you? And this is a very much a motivational interviewing approach because if we just tell patients the harms of what they're doing, they're not going to really feel like we've listened to them, that we've Mm -hmm. empathised with them, um, that we're in their shoes and we can see the world from their perspective. And so I ask them and I really try to get a feel for what's going on in their whole context. So take a holistic assessment, um, biopsychosocial, and and also Mm -hmm. then ask them, are there any not so good things about using that substance or alcohol? You know, tell me, Are there? Is there anything that you'd like to change about it? And, and we start off with open-ended questions and then maybe some more direct closed questions, especially with young people because, you know, it's hard sometimes to get them speaking freely. Yes. Um, and, sure. yeah, that's the other thing that a lot of uh, doctors might be concerned about, that by asking about drug use that we might be encouraging drug mm. use. And actually the research doesn't support that at all. So that's really reassuring to know, and is, yeah, yeah, that's right. So yeah, we're asking does not encourage you, so that's that's good. Um, and with young people, you know, most people have heard of like this heads assessment that we do as a holistic way to assess what context that young person is in. So H being for home, family life, um, E education and employment, and then A activities or hobbies. Um, drugs, and sex, sexuality and gender, and then self harm and suicide kind of risk assessment. So Mm -hmm. that's typically the approach I take with young people once the parent is out of the room, when they feel they can be a bit more truthful and open about what's going on.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Esther, that you're really exploring all of those parts. And and I suppose, you know, it's been a very tricky time, obviously, coming out of COVID. We're seeing the festival season sort of ramp up again. People are really starting to to get out a bit more, and young people in particular. Um, So... Let's let's talk about that for a moment. You know, you've got, I suppose, that co-occurring situation where you might have people who coming out of lockdown or or COVID situations, they've had a few uh, mental health things perhaps going on and then with the festival season sort of ramping up. you know, what sorts of drugs are being used in that context, in that festival context, and then perhaps we could talk a little bit about maybe is there an example of where someone might be have been placed on some medications that that might have some interaction. So let's start with that sort of festival experience. Um, what sorts of drugs are being used in, the, in that in that space.
1: Yeah, so we know that obviously ecstasy is one of the common drugs being used. Um, And in 2019, recent use had increased back up to 3% in Australia, particularly males in their 20s reported recent use, um, so around 12%. And we know that people in the higher socioeconomic areas are more than twice as likely to use ecstasy compared to those in the lower socioeconomic areas. And the thing about ecstasy is it's changed over time from pill and tablet form to capsule form. Mm. So most of the ecstasy being used currently is around 50% is in capsule form. And also a little bit more crystal and rock um, kind of forms of ecstasy are being used. The interesting thing to know about the capsules is that the potency has increased. Mm. When these capsules have been drug tested, that has um, we know that the, the potency is much higher of ecstasy compared to back in the day and so that can lead to some harms in itself and and, um, part of harm reduction is obviously education and um, giving our patients information for them to make an informed decision about whether or not to use the other drugs that we're seeing at festivals are things like um, ketamine and cocaine and other amphetamines so kind of stimulants alcohol obviously is a huge Mm. one you know cannabis, um, so there's a there's a kind of wide range.
0: Yeah, yeah, there is a wide range, and I suppose if you're talking about um, the experience of those substances, have you had situations where perhaps a, a you know as a GP you might have prescribed a, a medication that someone's on that you know perhaps as a result of maybe experiences of anxiety or stress or even depression. How do those things come together? I mean, what, what sorts of things should we be talking to people? Um, do you have any sort of examples about how a GP might talk about the two things together?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And you're right. Um, especially with COVID and coming out of COVID, there's, we're seeing a lot more social anxiety mm. in younger people. Uh, kind of having been fairly isolated and then re-emerging back into schools and, and social networks. Um, we are, yeah, definitely anxiety disorders are increasing and, and we are increasingly prescribing more antidepressants to help manage people's, young people's depression and anxiety in combination with obviously psychological treatments and other treatments. Um, we know that some of the reasons why people, yeah, use substances, as I said, previously is Mm self-medicating anxiety mood wanting a mood altering state and and some younger people are much more prone uh, or at risk of sensation seeking and Mm -hmm. use substances in order to yeah enhance an experience whether it be music festival improve their mood so that is the group that is a little bit riskier for then developing substance use disorders and that is also partly the group that is more prone to developing mental health issues And so when we're prescribing antidepressants, one of the things we might say is, um, you know, screen a little bit about do you go to music festivals? Have you ever used any illicit substances? Are you planning to? And then educating our patients about some of the drug drug interactions that can happen with their prescribed medication, especially antidepressants like the SSRIs and the Mm -hmm. SNRIs. Because they increase the serotonin levels in the brain, and most stimulants, including cocaine, amphetamines, ecstasy, also increase the level of serotonin in our brains. There's an increased risk of serotonin toxicity mm-hmm. um, when we when a person is on the antidepressant and and one of these substances. So um, what happens often? Yeah, so they can experience some of the symptoms of serotonin toxicity, and to educate them about. You know what, what? are the symptoms? So things like overheating, stiff muscles, kind of jaw clenching, mm-hmm. um, grinding their teeth, confusion, difficulty walking, and even increased anxiety. Um, and and if they're experiencing any of those things, if they do, kind of use these substances on top of their antidepressant to advise them to get help. That they're not going to get in trouble for mm. seeking. Um, and yeah, that saving lives trumps, you know, the police don't get called to an overdose or um when somebody's gone into a medical tent at a festival.
0: Mm. Oh, okay. So, I mean, that's an interesting thing too. Two things there, you know, I find um, in, in in therapeutic sessions that I provide that psychoeducation, so that education about what the drug does in the body and, and how it might interact with this, those prescribed medications obviously sounds like a good tip, but you're also mentioning there that um, the festivals themselves have places that young people can go.
1: Yes. Yeah, that's right. So, um, there there are these medical tents and organizations like Dancewise who kind of have rovers going out and around the music festivals, specifically looking for people who look like they might be kind of, you know, overdosing or getting unwell because of something they've taken um, and then bringing those people back to get medical attention and help. So Um, Some of the harm reduction advice we can give our young people who are planning to go to music festivals, if you're going to use MDMA, make sure you stay cool, stay hydrated, um, but don't overhydrate because there's that risk that that can cause a dilutional effect in their bloods. Um, So one bottle of water, you know, every hour if you're dancing and maybe half a bottle if you're not dancing, you know, obviously the stuff about sun protection, stay in the shade where you can hats, all of that, make sure you eat some food just basic things like make sure you eat make sure you drink um, make a plan with your mates where you're going to meet up with them let your mates know what you've taken I mean they probably have taken the same thing but you know just yeah try a little bit first don't try it all at once you know um and know where to go get medical help if needed um, know where the medical tents are ahead of time so that you can kind of easily find them if you need it um
0: yeah so really what you're saying there I mean both from the gp point of view and obviously dance wise are this group that are providing that education so what you're saying there is that far from suggesting things or or encouraging young people but by providing this factual information that can be really helpful for them is is that what you're saying
1: yeah that's right and this is where you know we don't you know we're not making any more judgments about what they're doing Mm -hmm.
0: and kind of reassuring
1: them of that it's like it's your decision yeah I just want to you know drug use is never going to be we're not saying that it's going to be safe by doing all these things but let's make it safer if you do choose to use um and yeah let's make sure that we we reduce overdoses we we save lives um let's get you help, let's get you help early. And the barriers to all of that are things like, yeah, people being scared that Mm. they can, you know, by the police or by parents or whatever it is, but I'm sure most parents are happy, you know, they're happier that the young, young person is safe and alive.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose what we're what we're really trying to get at there and to sort of indicate to young people is that there are people there to support and help, um, that there are safe spaces, chill out zones, those sorts of things that have been all thought about to keep people as safe as possible, whilst accepting that they, they may well try to want to experiment with these substances. Um, and so ha- what's our role, I suppose, in really helping them to make educated decisions and to stay as safe as possible. Um, And I suppose, you know, that also helps us to understand, particularly as a GP, it's useful to know a little bit about what might be available, particularly in that festival environment, but also where to get some other supports and and education.
1: Yeah, yes. So definitely some of the kind of um, other, you know, places that GPs can go to, to access credible information and information to give the young person, the New South Wales health, your room website has general information about alcohol and other drugs and also support services. And, and, you know, you can just type in whatever drug and and it gives you this little fact sheet, which is specifically for consumers. So whoever's going to take that substance Mm -hmm. potentially, Um, there's also the stay okay pages, on the Your Room website, which have specific harm reduction information, similar to what I said about keeping hydrated and things like that for um, people attending music festivals. Um, Queensland, the the NADA, the Network of Alcohol and Other Drug Agencies, have developed some great resources which kind of really detailed kind of drug-drug interactions between prescribed medication, like some of these antidepressants, and also... um, illicit substances and so they yeah that's really good as well just to give yeah have a read through of that as a as a clinician and and kind of highlight some of the potential drug drug interactions to help um inform and educate our patients Mm. Um, yeah,
0: I mean, I think I think that's a really important part that 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 that, other, that particular C that you mentioned there around curiosity is that it's what you're sort of suggesting is you might not have all the information, but it's really about being curious with the young person that's sitting in front of you and finding out what role those substances are playing, what experiences they're having, and then being able to to sort of find some of that that factual information to share with them. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah, and and actually, yeah, that might um, I might give you an example, like of a, a, a couple of patients mm. I've met along the way. So the first one is kind of a bad example, but but it ends up being good. So. Um, I met this guy when he was in his mid-20s um, and he recalled an episode to me that in his late teens when he was starting to go out and use MDMA on the weekends um, he saw a GP because you know he was having low mood and it might have been the kind of come down effect from MDMA so kind of the you know because MDMA releases huge amounts of serotonin mm. in your brain then for a little while afterwards few days a week afterwards kind of your, your brain is kind of leached of serotonin and, and and you feel depressed mm-hmm. um, and then so he disclosed him using MDMA to that GP um, and he kind of reports to me that that GP kind of berated him gave him a lecture wagged the finger at him right. which he didn't appreciate um, and and told him he was going to ruin his life if he kept going down this path mm. and also that he needed to get a whole new friendship group and and this guy was like I'm not doing that No. Um, that experience was so negative for him that he didn't go back and see a GP about some of the underlying things for many okay. years. And it came out later when I, you know, I started seeing this this man that that he actually had quite significant childhood trauma um, and also generalized anxiety disorder, probably a bit of social anxiety as well. And so that 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 was some of the reasons why he was doing some of the stuff that he was doing, you know, back in the day. Mm. Mm. Um, and, and another kind of example, again, about understanding kind of people's motives and, and, you know, using the understanding of why they're doing what they're doing and are there healthier ways that we can get those experiences, um, for our young people. So mm-hmm. if it is that they're sensation seeking, how can we get there, you know, help them with that sensations Oops. in a way that's safer um, so this other patient uh let's call them kayla she a 15 year old patient kayla identified as non-binary you know preferred pronouns they then presented with parents and was referred by a psychologist Um, lots of you know diagnoses like autism spectrum disorder Mm -hmm. ADHD generalized and social anxiety disorder you know an eating disorder had had a lot of people Mm. involved Taylor's care already and was on 30 milligrams of fluoxetine antidepressant Mm -hmm. Um, referred to see me because Taylor was sniffing uh, deodorant cans Mm -hmm. and and you know, I asked Kayla about what's the reason. You know, what what does it do for you? You know, I know that there must be a reason. You know, that you're using mm-hmm. these cans, and and somebody at school had kind of got Kayla onto these, inhaling the aerosols. Kayla reports liking the feeling it was giving. Couldn't remember what happened. Got the high. You know, would watch TikTok videos as, mm-hmm. as getting high with the deodorant, um, and. For Kayla, that kind of temporary relief mm. that it gave was better than her, uh, Kayla self-harming, yeah, mm-hmm. cutting. Um, so in Kayla's mind, inhaling aerosols was a form of harm reduction. Yeah,
0: it was was for trying a different strategy, I suppose. Mm. Yeah,
1: correct, yeah. So that that's where, you know, we kind of work with the young person. What are their motives? And I, I, I'm always interested is, in yeah how can we meet those needs in healthier ways that mm-hmm. are living? and is it through if it's mood alteration how we can how can we help that person alter their mood through things like exercise, psychological therapies, mm-hmm. you know, prescribe medications as needed, positive relationships and connections in their life, you know, developing new skills with sense of mastery, like and if they're sensation seeking, it might be some of these kind of more extreme sports and things. Sure. Like
0: yeah. So it's almost like providing that menu, it's exploring those, that menu of options so that it becomes one, one perhaps small part of, of a variety of things that people can try. And so and so in that particular case, you found by taking that approach, that was a way of supporting Kayla, um, that was a way of supporting them.
1: Yes, that's right. Exactly. And so this is where we really kind of need to start that conversation, find out what's going on for that young person. Mm-hmm. and And- that said, not everybody who uses substances is going to develop an addiction mm-hmm. a some disorder. You know, might be some use and, and maybe some harmful use at certain periods in time, like at a music festival, which might happen what once a year, twice, three, I don't know, depending on how often they go to music festivals. Um, it might not be that regular a thing and, and cause that much harm to that young person. But that said, we can't always predict how each person is going to react to certain substances Mm. and that that's where obviously sometimes the harms can occur
0: yeah, I suppose keeping those relationships strong and, and you, as you know, you as a GP and those, those who are listening, you know, that relationship and the relationships that a person has outside um, can really be the difference between um, uh, things becoming more concerning or, or in fact turning the other way and becoming really positive and, and people feeling a lot, you know, really well supported. So Esther, what you're saying is that GPS that are listening, they're not on their own, are they? So so can you tell us a few of the places they might find some more information um, and more services that might support them in providing this holistic care to young people?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, I find the New South Wales Health Your Room website. really good just for general information about alcohol and other drugs and also support services Um, and you can search on the website by drug and it comes out with these great fact sheets about that substance um, and that young person or whoever can just read about that information specifically really good for consumers as in people who are using that substance there's also the stay okay pages on the your room website and that has specific harm reduction information for people attending music festivals that really practical stuff about eating and drinking Mm -hmm. you know knowing where your mates are all of that Um, the drug and alcohol specialist advice advisory service is a free 24 7 phone service Mm -hmm. that provides general advice to health professionals who you know need that real-time advice and um, help for their patient with alcohol or other drug related concerns Um, and the number can be found in the intro to this podcast And for our patients, the Alcohol Drug Information Service is um, also free 24-7 phone service. And specifically in your area, you can find out what are the local drug and alcohol services in your area and specifically about young people ones. Um, This is where a GP might do a mental health care plan, Um, and you might be as a GP provide more of the kind of you know health information initially, but that young person might be need to link up with a psychologist or a drug and alcohol counselor, and this is obviously where we can use that mental health care plan to facilitate that holistic care of that patient. Um, The other resource that's really helpful um, is the Queensland NADA Network of Alcohol and Other Drug Agencies has developed these great website. Again, with these really good um, fact sheets about drug-drug interactions, specifically about um, how certain antidepressants, including the Mm. SSRIs, SNRIs, the tricyclics, might interact with some of the illicit substances or, or other legal kind of substances that people are taking. And so, for me, I've kind of read through that. Maybe highlighted a few of those harms to the to my patient, just to kind of keep them informed about some of the potential drug drug interactions. And though that those links will be in the intro to this podcast.
0: Fantastic, Esther. That's really helpful. So the the real takeaways that you've you've sort of highlighted there is how important it is to really foster that relationship that you have with your young patient that you create open and and uh, safe spaces for them to talk and discuss the things that might be on their mind and that you provide them with that factual information so that they can stay as safe as possible and to really engage and, and improve their well-being. I want to really thank you today Esther and as we said all of those other resources that can support you in providing really um, quality care to your patients will be included as part of the podcast. So thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: See you.